Welcome to another special episode of Steady Lads. Uh, I'm Jordi, CIO of Selena Capital. Today we have with us Justin, the CEO of Astaria. We have Taiki, the humble farmer, and now he's a full-time researcher as well. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Taiki was with us. I'll take the blame for him missing this time. Uh, I slept through the alarm, so we had to choose Jordi or Taiki, and this time we, we chose Jordi because uh, I have a special guest with us. So I've invited uh, Alvin from Vertex Protocol, and um, Alvin is usually spending his time, you know, locked up in the basement coding. So this was a rare occasion to to get him out in the world and uh, and actually interact with the, the man behind the, uh, you know, what I consider to be one of the best sort of code bases in uh, in the decentralized exchange space. So Alvin, thanks for joining us. Yeah, uh, thanks. I'm very happy to be on. This isn't a curtain, by the way. Um, it's just wall painted over. This is a basement. So yeah, like when you spend too much time in the basement, you, like you're you're uh, you have to kind of trick yourself. You you have access, your freedom. You know, like oh, there's a window behind me, but you're saying there's actually no window. This is just like your mom put something down to to make you feel like you know you're you're like a, a real boy. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like very important to just stay in the basement or to be motivated to write better code. You know, um, <laughs> Darius tries his best to keep me locked up, um, and it does wonders. So, for those of you who don't follow Alwyn on Twitter, and I think unfortunately there's many people, you're you're like an underfollowed account. And I remember when we uh, when we met some months ago, you asked me to follow you, and you're like, "Okay, hey, now I made it. Jordy's following me." So I think uh, I have enjoyed following you. So uh, you have this quote in your uh, bio. You say that you're the you were were you the youngest employee at at Jump? Is, is that something that you actually? Yeah. So I, I joined Jump Crypto full time when uh, yeah. I was 18, um, so I dropped out of college quite early, and then I spent some time working, and then I ended up working at Jump as a software engineer. You, you dropped out of college uh, after like a month, or like like how old? Yeah, when you're 18, or okay. After a month, so uh, when I was uh, yeah, when I was in high school, I was like very uh, conservative, so I was very pro-Trump. Um, so I actually ended up going to the United States Military Academy at West Point for college. Um, so I spent a month at military school. Um, it was like boot camp, so yeah, I ended up dropping out after that, and yeah, um, ended up uh, just working in tech, um, and then there was ended up going to jump, and then like one fateful day, um, someone by the name of SJ convinced me to quit my awesome career in trading um, to ruin my life and live in a basement. So here I am today. How long were you at jump? You said uh, so about six months. Um, so between. April of 2021 to like September of 2021. And you started coding when you were like three years old or like, how did you like manage to have the skills for joining Jump at that point? I think I started coding when I was like 15. Um, so like there's this, I went to like a pretty nice high school in New York City and they had like this mandatory programming course. So I remember taking that like second semester of my sophomore year in college, sorry, sophomore year in high school. And yeah, I really liked it. And then I ended up teaching myself some like random bullshit over the summer. Um, and it's like sort of snowballed because I was like just really bad at school. Um, and this is like a cool hobby that like, you know, my parents wouldn't like, you know, like look at me, I'm like Asian. So it's like, if they see you coding on the computer, they're not going to like beat you with like a belt. But like, if you're like playing video games, they will. So that's how I got better at coding. You're a, you're a good replacement for Thicky. He's usually our uh, our Asian quant here. So it's good, it's good to, have, to have you here instead. 
Were you at a wormhole during the exploit uh, when wormhole, I think it was a few hundred million dollars, but uh, jump ended up paying that out of pocket. No, I had left wormhole like a couple, sorry, I'd left jump like a couple months before that. Um, but I did write some code for wormhole. Like you can see like my commits in the repo. It was not my code that got exploited. I remember like reading about the exploit and going like, um, please don't be my code. Please don't be my code. And, um, <laughs> it wasn't. Like, what, what was it like just dropping out of college, joining Jump, and then just, I mean, it seems like you're not really afraid of risk. Um, you're taking this unconventional path. Uh, like, how does, like, tell me how, like, tell us, like, how does your brain work, <laughs> like, when it comes to, like, jumping through these opportunities? Yeah, so I'm, like, inc- I'm, like, incredibly retarded. Um, like, <laughs> I just, like, it's just, like, like, I try to do, like, what's, like, like, it's just sort of, like, the most fun path, honestly. Um, and then like, I do like run the expected value calculation or whatever, but like, um, yeah, I think like since I've left college, it's all been like, I'm, you know, try to have the most experience, like put yourself in situations where like you learn the most. Um, and it's like gradually over time, like you sort of just accumulate, um, more responsibilities and like, there's like pros and cons to that. Right. Um, so like the pros is like, you get to like, um, be popular on Twitter and have like Jordy follow you. Um, the con is that like you live in a basement, so it's like you know, you, you you have to weigh it. What, what what did your parents think about you living in the basement and just coding for this obscure crypto project? Dude, my parents don't care. Like, they just like they saw that I wasn't like a doctor or a lawyer, and they're like, "You're dead to me." Um, yeah, no. You get no sunlight. So, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and you're 21, you also, right? Yeah. Wow. Do you? Ha- I mean, we've we've talked a little bit about, you know, your, your code in the past and, uh, you know, I know you love to ship stuff and I'm, I'm quite impressed with how quickly you ship. Do you, do you manage the other engineers? You know, do you just let somebody else manage them and you just do your code? How do you actually, kind of, cause you're the CTO, right? Like, do you? Yeah. So I've like managed, um, engineers before. So I've like managed teams from like, like zero all the way up to like 30. Um, I don't really like management that much. Like. I prefer to spend a lot of time coding. Um, and like at Vertex, we sort of adopted this hiring stance where like we just hire like pretty smart, like self-motivated people and just like try and like piece together like, okay, what does the company need and what will these people find interesting? And like sort of just try and match it up. Um, so I haven't had to do like a lot of management. Like, like our engineers will literally go up to me and be like, hey, these are the things that I think we should do. Um, I'm going to start working on them. Let me know if like we should, I should do something else. So it's like, we just like hired pretty well. Um, or I wouldn't say pretty well. We've made a bunch of bad hiring decisions, but we've made great firing decisions and we've kept the good ones. Um, so yeah, like overall, don't really like management that much. Still do it a bit. Um, spend a lot of time coding, a lot of time, like, um, writing out specs and like designing stuff like architecturally. So um, it's like a mix. How big is the team at, at Vertex now? So I think it's around like I think like sixteen people. Um, okay. Like the, the team that I primarily work on, which is just like um, all of like our backend infrastructure, like the matching engine stuff, like that. Um, right now, it's like four people, um, and then like devs, maybe like eight people or something. It's quite small. It's, I, I would have to say it's probably the equivalent of like one hundred and three people because I'll win it. As far as I can tell, you know. And I have experience with these things. Alwyn is like a hundred X engineer. So you got like three people plus Alwyn, 103. It's not too bad. You can ship quite a lot of stuff. 
Um, exactly. You guys are one. Like, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about the competitive landscape. So, um, I was looking at the Masari report. They put a report a few days ago, and uh, it's impressively, like you know, in some ways up up to date. So, whoever uh, out there doing the Masari research, you know, kudos to you. Um, they're even, you know, referring to like the one point five billion dollar day that you guys had um, a few days ago. So it's, it's definitely up to speed. Um, you know, obviously, like any derivatives report, usually in the last few years, we'll start with DYDX. And uh, I think that might change, you know, over the next months as you guys have been doing incredibly well. Um, so we, we kind of see, you know, it starts with, you know, the, what's been the market leader, I would say, until recently, which, which has been like DYDX. And then we look at this perp Mac, perp uh, DEX here. Um, you guys are in that middle kind of hybrid column. Um I think this is like a, a, a decently like comprehensive um, piece here. And one of the cool things about uh, you, you guys shipping from the beginning was you really went for the, you know, FTX style portfolio margin, right? Like, I don't think many of these, maybe Avo has uh, some of that. Um, maybe a, maybe a, like a few of these have, have like elements of that. But was that like technologically something that, you know, you, you had to spend a lot of time figuring out how to do this kind of portfolio margin. And I think, um, you know, the centralized exchange experience competing with that experience potentially is quite important to have that. Yeah, actually, I mean, it wasn't that tricky. Like there's a lot of great products out there that like we were able to like, like half copy, half like take inspiration from. Um, so like one really good product on Solana that has that is Mango Markets. So they have like cross margin across, um, yeah, across like spot and features. Um, yeah, I think they're like a fantastic product. Um, it's like pretty sad what happened to them and how like um, a lot of things winded down. But they're like a pretty big, um, yeah, pretty big inspiration. And like a lot of the elements of our brisk engine um, come from stuff that like they've worked on. Could we talk a little bit about incentives? Because uh, something Masari sort of calls out here is that uh, Vertex's volume and to open interest ratio correlates with incentives. Can you just talk through your thinking about incentives and um, like where you think you guys will be heading with that and, and what it, and if incentives are like one of the largest drivers for perp adoption, or if you think there's something else going on there that people like are actually craving the, these products. Yeah. I mean, like, like incentives are just like a really expensive marketing strategy. Um, the thing is that like everyone in crypto, like sort of uses them. Um, so like it's, it's kind of hard to beat trading on an exchange that has like plus EV trading. Yeah, I mean, like, we have incentives, a huge part of our, like, if we did not have incentives, yeah, our volumes would not be nearly as high. Um, but, like, at the same time, like, you know, it gets a lot of people to use our product, and it's just a great marketing strategy. I'm, I'm happy to, like, um, talk about this, because something I've, I've, you know, I've gone through the first version of DYDX all the way through, and I've, I've you know, probably spent more time than any, any human alive on uh, go, going through an incentive uh, of DEX programs. Um, I would say like, uh, we've seen this with, I remember when DYDX came out, uh, some years ago and, you know, the token, once the token's live and the token gets priced and people see that, okay, you know, the monthly token emissions are worth this much, um, you're fighting over this, over this pool and the amount of volume will start to like, at least as a floor, kind of like the trade, the trading fees will start to at least match the emissions. And then usually, you know, you kind of go, go above that. And what you see with like a very successful token launch, like Vertex just had, um, you know, last week, their TG after seven months, um, 
you know, the market has to catch up to the dollar value of the emissions because it's suddenly like, oh shit, like, you know, they're releasing, let's say 1% of the supply, that's like $5 million. <laughs> so like everyone just kind of like jumps in and uh, with DYDX, we, we saw this growth hack be, be quite successful. And this is quite different than what we see some, you know, exchanges occasionally do, even centralized exchanges, which is uh, fake volume. Um, so like fake volume will be like when the exchange itself is sort of like sort of self-matching on the inside and, and, and doing this kind of stuff just to make the numbers look big. So this is very different than that. This is like actual independent firms paying, paying fees um, and just trading really competitively. And the good thing about what, what that does is it creates like a frenzy to be like super tight and super thick uh, when you're quoting on the inside. And that actually in turn creates the best trading experience for you know users and funds because it, it gives the most competitive pricing. Um, so yeah, I, I saw this uh, this open interest stuff as well, and you know, open interest is um, is the sign of like you know potentially like large funds that just sort of put on basis trades. Uh, you know, the buy spot and then they short perps, um, but not ne not necessarily like having to be representative of, of like actual uh, you know daily trading volume. I mean, I think that the open interest will like sort of gradually um, creep up over time as we like, you know, onboard more retail users and like um, onboard like bigger funds. Um, yeah, one thing I like do want to address, like you mentioned, like exchanges, like um, printing trades and stuff like that. Like um, we actually have like a pretty sophisticated like um, setup to like just monitor stuff like wash trading and like that type of manipulation. Um, so like. You know, I think like every single day or something, we like run a script that like creates like a graph of all the trades and like finds the strongly connected components. And like we very actively like blacklist um, wash traders from rewards. Um, yeah, it's just that like like farming trading is like a different activity um, from wash trading. But like, you know, obviously like you'll see a lot of like accusations and stuff like that get thrown around um, based around OI and stuff. And yeah, it's like pretty good advertising for us, to be honest. Do, do you think like you're trying to, in a way, like vampire attack DYDX through like having a new token, having these incentives? And like, uh, this is a question for Jordy too. Like, what do you think about, you know, the like DYDX V4? Um, I heard they, uh, it's kind of clunky, um, at least. I mean, they just launched, um, but like, how do you expect, or like, what's, what's your plan for Vertex to compete with DYDX and just slowly siphon away um, like a bunch, bunch of volume and liquidity? So like DYDX V4 is, is sort of like a, a different type of product at this point. It's a fully on-chain, you know, it's this like wild experiment of trying to do what Serum did, but, uh, you know, do it properly and, and, not, and not just have like Alameda. Like I think Alameda was losing like 50K a, a day or 100K a day trying to trade on Serum and just dumping money. Meanwhile, like this token has a FTD in the... 50 billion or something. I remember like when my FTT account was, was like giving me these locked serum rewards and I was checking the FTD on it. It was something insane. But DYDX has taken the brave route of saying, okay, we're, we're just going to go in that direction. Um, so you have a centralized matching engine and I'm sure Alvin can describe this a little bit, which is, you know, traditional exchange and it's very efficient, super fast, very fair. That's the most important thing. Like it's a fully FIFO. You can you know, to the, to the macro microsecond, just get, get people fairly in line versus DYDX V4 and, you know, the, the serum style where you're relying on the order book 
from the validators and there's no objective order book, like who was there first, they can just kind of like, obviously there's a lot of MEV that comes into play. Um, so you're exchanging like neutrality in the sense of like, there's no matching engine that decides it's, it's decentralized. You have that, but then you're giving up the ability for, uh, you know, bad actors to take MEV and DYDX um, is in this like style of, let's just go and try it and hopefully we can social slash people and, and kind of force them in line to, to not take advantage. Um, but it, it's quite a double handed, so double edged sword. Um, how do you think about it, Alvin? Um, yeah, I mean, like I frankly, like, I just don't think that like trading L1s like work. Um, it's just like, like, if you look at it from the perspective of someone that wants to trade, right. Um, you, you, you'll have like just worse, like market makers will have a much harder time making like, th like thin markets, sorry, thin spreads on DYDX. Um, and then like, as like someone who's trying to trade on it, you're just going to get a lot worse execution. Um, and then like what they get from decentralization is like, maybe the probability that you get rugged is slightly less. Um, like it's just from like a product perspective, it's just not that great. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. Like you, you have you have the ethos of crypto of like you know trust nobody. You can do you can verify everything on chain. The matching engine can't do anything fuzzy, um, and and you're fighting against a product that works. I mean, DYDX V three has been working great. They haven't been even been working <laughs> on it, you know, for a year because they've been just trying to ship V four, and it's just been plugging away, you know, doing doing a ton of volume, um, working perfectly. And it's so weird to like see, you know, a, a company like let's say it was Apple or something, just have like, you know, the iPhone and they're like, okay, we're just going to like do a completely like different like redesign and, and just like leave our blockbuster successful product to go. And, you know, kudos to those guys. I know a lot of things come into play with like, you know, um, having this like permissionless thing as well. And, you know, all the, all the DAO and legal and, and, you know, all this kind of stuff that, that comes into these uh, decisions as well. Um, let's see how it goes. I, I agree with you that it makes it a little bit challenging uh, for quoting, you know, aggressively and tightly and, and having tight spreads. Hopefully like this social slashing thing will work. Jordy, can you, can you explain why that would be the case? Why them being on their own chain makes it harder for you as a market maker to provide tighter spreads? So their own chain part is totally fine. I think it's required just purely for the amount of like TPS and, and cheap fees. Otherwise, you know, I think anyone that's trying to do this not on their own chain is is like, you know, losing their mind because, you know, you're competing so much for gas. Like every single order, and Alvin maybe can explain the technical side of this as well. But, you know, when you, when you have, like, you have the full spectrum of like on chain versus like, you know, centralized matching, right? And sometimes you can just match on chain, just the trades, you can batch the trades or you can actually have, you know, every single cancellation. And, and, you know, if I just spam the book and I cancel at the back of the queue and I just keep placing and replacing, you can have that <laughs> on, on chain as well. But the amount of gas, if you're not on your own chain is, is like incredibly uh, expensive. Right. So, um, you know, DYDX is fully on chain. Um, it's, it's, you have to do it on your own chain. That's fine. Like their design going on Cosmos was probably like quite smart. The issue is just simply MEV, right? So if a, a validator 
um, stakes a bunch of DYDX, wins the blocks, can start proposing blocks. Let's say there's like a juicy trade that comes. They can potentially, you know, insert themselves and sort of sandwich attack that trade or take advantage of that trade in front of in front of market makers. That obviously, you know, can be monitored potentially. Not perfectly. You can't perfectly like understand if someone's being fair. And it's all about latency. Think about it from like a like a FIFO perspective, first in, first out. With a centralized matching engine, it's it's pretty clear. Like whoever arrives and, and hits like the gateway, you kind of put them in order. When you have uh, you know, like nodes across the world, you never really know who sent their order first because it's a question of like which node, which geographically, like where did they reach first and and who like kind of like relayed that first. So um that brings in this like the referee can't be objective fully. This would be a big bull case for their token potentially, right? So like the more DYDX you own, the more likely it is you win a block, which means you can extract more value. And I assume that's part of the value proposition they're offering here, right? Like this is a product. Correct. I don't think it's part of their value proposition. I think it's a side effect and they're probably against it. They Mm. would prefer their value proposition to be simply like, you know, people are spending gas that, you know, that, that kind of like burns the token you know, we can, we can put staking rewards now, like officially, you know, as, as part of this process, you can get some of the trading fees and, and that can somehow get, get passed through. I think the MEV extraction is something that like, even though the Ethereum community and the Ethereum ethos is kind of like, oh, that's fine. Like, let's give that to the validators and they'll distribute it to like Lido and everybody else, Flashbots, all this stuff with a, with a trading, um, what, what Alvin is referring to, and, and you can elaborate is that as a market maker, it completely changes how tightly I'm willing to quote and it ruins the trading experience if the MEV is too much because like I will start losing money if I'm being taken advantage of. And so I'll I'll go wider and wider to have like this extra safety net. And at some point that affects like the quality of execution. So that's what, that's what you're fighting on when you're, um, when you're like fully on chain. Do you want to explain a bit, Alwyn, how you think about it? It's going to be more difficult to trade on. Um, like if you're placing order, you don't know like what happened to that order um, within like a second or something like that. Um, yeah, it makes it very difficult for market makers to like correctly price assets. And then that's going to like impact retail users where like they're just going to get worse execution. Um, and even from like a UI perspective, right? Just like waiting for shit to confirm. It's just not like that fun of an experience. Um, like if you want to be an exchange, like you're offering two things, right? One make it so that people can speculate on what they want to like um, keep your assets safe. Um, I honestly don't think that like a new blockchain like does either like well or like better than like alternatives. Yeah, Jordy, I'm curious, like maybe you guys are looking into this or other market making firms that you're connected with, but are any of you guys thinking like this is your chance to acquire the DYDX token so you can sort of like own some of the block space on the chain and um be a better market maker and make more money that way? Or is that not something you're looking into? I would say like, here, here's, here's the inside scoop, right? Um, you have this like pot of gold that like it's there, this MEV, right? It's on chain. Now you, you can start extracting. Um, now, like they're telling you, look, look, whoever goes and picks up that pot of gold, we're, we're, we're tracking you, you know, they've created like a skip protocol, um, was very familiar with, you know, tracking these things. It was built a dashboard and they're like, we're going to be watching 
and comparing your PL until like you know what we think a fair PL which would be. And if you pick up this pot of gold, we will like smack you and like you know we will take all your DYDX tokens that you've used for your validator. So you're gonna, you're gonna get slashed. So like right now, no one. It's just been launched two days, right? Like the the rewards on DYDX v4 have just launched. No one's picking it up. And from my perspective, like I would prefer if it's fair and nobody. I would love to live in a world where like this MEV stuff just didn't exist and and there's no pot of gold. So as a, as a firm, you know, we are like one of the large participants in DYDX. I would say that like my hope is like nobody goes for it and we don't have to play that game. Um, it's a different game. It's you're kind of getting into like the Uniswap sandwiching game, which is why I do say like you know DYDX v4 is just a different product than you know things like Vertex and and uh, you know RapidX and and all these other exchanges because it's like Uniswap. It's like you're willing to give up the quality of execution. Like you're giving giving up some stuff in order to to be like you know using the fully on chain decentralized Uniswap type of thing, um, and that's why you're not using you know something like Binance. You know you you just kind of obviously Binance will give you better execution than than Uniswap, right? The fees are lower, everything else. Um, so yeah, I mean from our perspective, hopefully nobody goes for it. If they find ways to not get detected and we start detecting it, even though the the official dashboard that's supposed to be tracking it does not track it. Um, we have to maybe like look at competing and, and staying, uh, staying competitive and doing that kind of stuff. But for now we're, we're hoping it's not necessary. And the only reason to hold the DYDX token will just purely be for, uh, you know, the, the economics of it. Well, you are Mr. Game theorizing, and it seems to me that this is just prisoner's dilemma, right? And we're going to see how it plays out. But like theoretically, someone's going to defect, right? And then it'll be very interesting to see how people respond. So not necessarily. I think um, if the punishment, if the referee is doing a good job and, and the punishment is is, is sufficient, uh, I, I joke sometimes with uh, with some of the other market-making participants. I'm like, we should stage this like false flag attack to because like we don't want anybody to go for this gold. And, and I'm like, we should just have somebody do something stupid and then socially slash them in a very public way. And we, we, you know, we just kind of put in all the, all the new sites that somebody got like super slashed to just to but discourage it, this from happening. <laughs> it's sort of a, a really tough issue for, I don't know if this is managed by a DAO. It pro- seems like it is, but if you socially slash, you're handicapping the value of the token significantly. Right? So it's, a very interesting thing. If you take too heavy-handed approach, it's sort of like making this like a socialism-ish friendly chain. Then the token's not worth much, presumably, and then you know, like there's going to be less volume, less traders, less activity, less stakers, etc. So yeah, it seems like an interesting dilemma, but it's a really fun problem to think about. Um, I hadn't really thought about it that way, so thank you. I mean, socially slashing can even be bullish to token. You, you know, you, you can take those tokens from somebody from like a validator and just burn them. And you know when you slash them, and then like the, but you, who's going like to compete reduced. for the coin then? It's like the, you know the the people that are just looking for the economics. Ultimately, like uh, I don't know how you how you see it, Alvin. Uh, the economics of um, of the token come into play, and if there's people trading and there's fees generated, and that somehow gets passed on to uh, to the token, that is ultimately going to make people buy the token. I think right now, uh, Vertex has like. Um, uh, like an 80 plus percent APY on, on, on staking the token. So that is very compelling, uh, from a, you know, purely why should I buy this token standpoint, right? Like synthetics, I think has had this same program for a long time and their APYs are, um, you know, in, in the low 
double digits, uh, usually. I mean, the only other way we've seen tokens be used is something like BNB, where you're sort of forced to hold a token in, in a certain amount of size in order to get trading fees discounts. Um, that's like a centralized exchange model, obviously. Um, I think even DYDX had something like that in their V3, where you, you had to hold a certain number of tokens for uh, extra discounts. Do you think about something like that or volume tiers or you know trying to differentiate the, the fees or do you just... So far, you've just taken like a flat fee approach. I mean, like in practice, like redistributing some of the stake and yield is like a fee discount. Um, so like if you own like, I don't know, 10% of the staking pool, that's effectively like a 5% discount on your fees. Um, so it's pretty similar. Like we, we can experiment with like different fee structures, but like we're, we're quite happy with the way it currently is right now. Like to my knowledge, like Vertex was, was originally on Terra, right? So like, what was it like pivoting from this being part of this ecosystem that kind of blew up and then just pivoting to like some, you know, some application on Arbitrum? Uh, what was that process like? I mean, how do you persevere as a builder? Maybe it's a question for Justin too. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it was a lot of work. Um, ultimately, I think what happened was like, we went to a lot of our investors and like, first things first, like we, we totally could have just like kept our fundraise and just said, fuck you. Like that was like totally legal. Um, but, uh, we ended up going to a bunch of investors and like going like, oh, okay. Like, I'm, um, you know, this thing blew up. Like, if you want your money back, just like, let us know. And basically everyone like went like, yeah, we don't want our money back. Um, and at that point, like we had already built, um, yeah, just a lot of stuff relating to the risk engine. Um, and we just spent some time thinking about it and we were like, okay, like it's probably not that hard to like, just pivot to like a general cryptex. And we think that there's like an opportunity here. Um, so like, we just decided to take it. Obviously it's like really demoralizing when like, you know, you've been working on this thing for a while and like everything sort of, um, instantaneously became useless, right? Like we had to like sort of fire our, the vast majority of our team. And like, we ended up rebuilding a new one from scratch. And that one was actually ended up being like both much cheaper and much stronger. Um, so I'm actually like very happy with the way like things turned out. And it was just like a wild ride where like, I learned a lot, um, my co-founder learned a lot um yeah in terms of resilience i would just say that we're just like as a team we're just like pretty hungry like we want to get things done can you like tell uh can you tell people exactly what what, what were you building on terra it was kind of different stuff like how, how did you kind of like transpire along that path at the time like so terra's l1 and it was like a very special l1 because it had like Built into the L1, there was, like, the ability to swap between, like, um, different stable coins. So it wasn't just UST. They also had, like, EUT, KRW, and stuff like that. So I had, like, a stable coin for, like, every um, currency that you could hold, like, without going to jail. Um, so what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring, like, more utility to, like, a lot of these different stable coins. Because, like, in practice, like, there's probably demand for, like, a euro-denominated stable coin. Um, and like to have things in, um, in, in euros because Europeans, like they use crypto, um, but like there just wasn't any liquidity. So what we wanted to start out with was just like set up like a Forex perpetuals on Terra. Um, and that would sort of allow people to like hedge out currency risk and stuff like that, which would actually make these stable coins useful. So one example of how you could use that is like um, at the time on Terra, there was this lending protocol called Anchor, um, which was the most popular protocol on Terra. Um, and effectively it let you like deposit UST inside for like a 20% um, APY. And like with uh, like a liquid perpetuous exchange, 
what you could do is you could like allow people to deposit euros into Anchor. Um, and what we would end up doing is we would swap those euros into UST, deposit the UST into Anchor, and then hedge out that currency risk. Um, so like we thought that there was just like a pretty big, like, um, yeah, vertical for growth there. Do you, do you still think that there is like an, an, any interest in like sort of on-chain FX perps or FX things? Or do you think that there's just not that much product fit and the people who are looking for FX hedging just do it with, you know, the traditional FXCM type of uh, brokers? Like, like I think that there's still opportunity. It's just a lot it's just a lot harder to exploit. Like Terra was really special because you could like swap UST into EUT with unlimited liquidity because it was just built into the chain itself. Um, and that's not a thing that you get like anywhere else. Uh, was there like, um, just to understand the mechanism, like uh, the way you could swap it was, uh, was there like an Oracle kind of like referencing, yeah. uh, was it using mirror or like using some real world price? Yeah, so you know that like mint burn mechanism between Luna and UST, right? Like that also oh, works. We know it, with, like, we know it well. We know it well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it very well. <laughs> so that also applied to like um, just a lot of other like less known stables. Like I actually think that like their first stable was like Terra KRW or something, um, but like UST became like like what they ended up like running with. Um, but everything else was still there. We have a, a really interesting panel here because, you know, Jordi, market makes on these perp platforms, Alwyn, you're building them. And then I know Taiki has historically been a big LP in GMX and also just a user of these products. So I'm curious, like Taiki, when you're looking at these products, what's the differentiator for you when you're trying to decide where you want to LP, which you're comfortable using? Like in your mind, are all of these platforms sort of the same or are there different features that you're looking for that are differentiating them? And from my perspective, it's I just look at the risk and how much I'm being paid for that risk. Um, and GLP was a simple product um, because, I mean, it was I kind of viewed it at the time as a crypto savings account where I don't want to hold cash. I'd rather hold GLP um, or even track crypto on Curve, where I'm earning ten to thirty percent APR um, on you know fifty percent stable coins, fifty percent uh, like crypto exposure. So like I, I purely viewed it as like a savings account with not that much downside risk. How about, how about the basket of it? Like, did you, do you view the basket of uh, specific products in GLP as something that you wanted to hold or something that you should hedge out, you know, cause it kind of tells you specifically like how much, you know, Bitcoin ETH, et cetera, in, in that basket. Maybe that's not the same as what you would normally hold. Yeah. I mean, for like, for example, like on Avalanche GLP, it contains AVAX and I don't want exposure to AVAX. But like one thing I could, <laughs> one thing I did do during like, last year and like also this year was I would use Ether um, as collateral. I would borrow AVAX on Aave and use that AVAX to buy GLP. Um, so if the value of AVAX goes down relative to GLP, then I profit off that trade. And you also, and I also earn like the fees. Um, so it was kind of a way to hedge out my portfolio. And it was, a, yeah, it was like a, I call it like the farmer's hedge because you short AVAX and then you long GLP. And then you're being like whatever borrow rate I'm paying for AVAX, I'm being compensated for by like GLP fees. Um, so I would kind of view it as like a portfolio construction, like a, like a way to construct like, construct a portfolio. Um, and I guess it's like a trade. Um, I know like something like that is not possible on Vertex. Um, I just like GLP because as a retail investor, um, I don't have the knowledge that Jordi has. Um, I can just say, hey, like, I can just buy GLP. I understand it. Um, and you know. 
GOP was a simple product because yeah, like, it's simple to understand. Yeah, but there there is, there is no like free lunch, right? It's like when you look at these like uh, yield bearing, you know, uh, GLP type of assets, the only way that they can get enough yield to pay you, you know, your 25% or whatever you're looking for is ultimately like through having really high fees, um, both trading fees. And I think with GMX is like the V1 case, there was like a massive borrow fee. You didn't realize, but like if you went long and then you went on holiday and you came back, you might have gotten the position directionally right, but you would still get liquidated because just like the amount of like borrow fee that you're paying on the leverage would be like more than like anything you could potentially make in profit. So it was very much like a DGEN exchange. And you they, they have this kind of like decision to make between like a good trading experience and a good uh, staker experience. And, you know, you, you have to move money from one to the other. That's that's sort of like a tough decision. I think with, with V2, they've gone more towards creating a better trading experience, which I think is more sustainable in the long run because really having these like, you know, crazy fees will will not work. So kudos to them for uh, for at least trying to think about the traders more because ultimately that's your customer and, and you have to be competitive there. Um, I mean, Alvin, I did see that you guys do have some collaboration with, we're seeing these like vaults, uh, sort of like market making on the chain. How, how does that work? Yeah, so like, yeah, I think we also realized that uh, um, like retail users just really like sort of like a, static yield product that you can park your money into and have them work on the exchange so like the way we've sort of done that is using elixir um which is like this decentralized market making protocol um so i think right now they're responsible for maybe like nine million dollars um of uh tvl on vertex and what they do is like they just place like fairly wide markets on vertex and just market make um, using people who deposit into them and they act like backstop liquidity. Um, and even though like, I don't know if like these pools in particular are profitable, but like they're definitely profitable, like post rewards, um, which is what their, uh, what their business model is doing. So from a farmer perspective, you can get the yield. You can just kind of do this GLP experience. You can try to figure out which pool you, you, you get the most value in. Um, but yeah, like ultimately in a competitive landscape of an order book, elixir themselves and you know maybe we can talk to them at some point but you know they're, they're gonna have to make the the actual orders that they're sending be profitable because they can't yeah. just like finance with tokens indefinitely yeah it's quite hard to like be profitable trading on an order book um especially when you want to be decentralized um so they're like solving pretty hard problems over there journey i'm, I'm curious about this so elixir is sort of I don't want to talk badly about them, but it's sort of like an unwinnable product, right? If it's decentralized, then the strategy is public. And if the strategy is public, they can't profit from it. And if, you know, I, I suppose they could do it in a non-decentralized manner, but it's I don't think that's the product they're they're offering. And I mean, they're doing everything on chain, right? So it will be visible eventually. Is, is that the right way to think about it? I think it's okay. Like ultimately, like there is a segment of trades that, um, you know, the cost of capital can be different. Like for a trading firm like us, our internal cost of capital might be like really high. You know, we, we don't want to pick up a 20% APY. We would just like put it somewhere else. Like our, our return on capital is, let's say like, you know, minimum 40%, right? So there's these like opportunities, like maybe what they're doing is like waiting for blow throughs. Like somebody just like puts like really big trades and their backstop liquidity, they get like a really juicy fill. But maybe it only happens like once every like two months or like once every like four <laughs> weeks. And so like the APY on it is not going to be that high because yeah, they're making like 3% every time it happens, but it happens like once a month. 
we're not going to be willing to just sit there like super wide waiting waiting for those trades. So there is potentially uh, a niche that they can play. Um, it's quite different than I think on Hyperliquid. There's a very competitive, you know, I think that quality of that uh, bot, like the market making um, bot there is, is, is very high. Uh, it's, it's probably like something that, that could compete with market makers, uh, given what I know about, uh, you know, the, that team and, and Jeff and his background in HFT and, you know, um, the quality of something like that might be higher than Elixir. But yeah, I, I think maybe there is a sort of like a 20% APY possible um, that market makers are not willing to sit around and wait for. Yeah, and to like give you an example of like, like you know, all the source code of like Uniswap is public, right? But like Uniswap LPs do like decently well. Um, GLP also does decently well, and like that's also public. Yeah, I, mean, I think if Thicky was here, he would he would argue a little bit about how how well the Uniswap LPs are doing. He's <laughs> he's been doing some analysis. <laughs> um, that's been not not too bullish, but um, I mean, let's let's close this segment off. So. Um, Alwyn, like, is there some features? I, I know, like, devs, you know, you're in your basement, you're always just, like, looking to ship stuff. Um, are there, like, next features that you're just trying to get out? Like, what is, what is like, the next uh, product roadmap look like for you? Um, yeah, so, like, what we want to do is just scale to a lot more products better. Um, so, like, right now, a downside of the cross-margin system, like, right now, everything's, like, cross-margin, right? But that means that we can't really list, like, long-tail assets that well. Um, so a big push upcoming is to just overhaul our risk engine. Um, want us to like simplify the code of that because you know we made a lot of mistakes on the way, um, and then yeah, make it able to process long tail assets, make it a lot more like more 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 able to take on like um, yeah the risk of long tail assets. Just like figuring out how to do that. Um, and the other thing on our side is just like on my side especially is to try and like mitigate existential risk. Um, stuff like making sure keys don't get hacked and like taking a really heavy security mindset around everything. Um, like ultimately the job of Beaks, like we just need to do two things decently well, which is to like make traders have a nice experience and like not make traders lose everything. Um, so just pushing on both of those fronts basically. That's actually a great uh, segue into our uh, into our uh, pasta of the week segment because uh, you know a certain exploiter has been uh, starting to um, give us some demands. So uh, now that you mentioned about avoiding avoiding getting taken advantage of by uh, by exploiters, I think we're about to see some interesting pastas. Um, I stole it from Justin, so sorry, Justin. I, I I think everyone's been clamoring for this pasta, but yeah, let's let's go to pasta of the week. And uh, we'll start off with uh, my pasta that I stole from, from Justin's pot as, as he was cooking it. Uh, so we have the KyberSwap exploiter <laughs> uh, giving his list of demands. And, you know, first of all, I think even like his, his previous message was, was even more memeable where he, he says, guys, like, I'm pretty tired. I'm just going to take a nap and you, you guys behave and I'll, I'll come back in a few days and, and we can negotiate and discuss. Um, so he, he's had his nap or uh, he's had his beauty sleep. And he feels rested because, oh boy, his demands. He, he is basically uh, asking for complete executive control. And he wants to insert himself as the, uh, the Kyber director. So if anybody wants to discuss with him, he has given his Telegram name. He is, he is Kyber director. Um, and he wants you to uh, give the control of the company to him, uh, buy out people. And this is his 
as you can see there, uh, he says, this is my best offer. This is my final offer. I require my demands to be met by December 10th. Otherwise, the treaty falls through. I love how he calls it a treaty. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. But if I was a token holder of this Kyber network token, which I don't know who is still holding this thing, I would be like, fuck it. Let's go with this. Let's give it a try. Like token holders and investors under this treaty, your tokens will no longer be worthless. I mean, this is this is gold. Like this is who you want running the show, right? Um, so I think it's it's a win win win, right? He said employees, your salary will be doubled. Executives, we're gonna buy out your coins at a fair valuation. I mean, this guy really seems like he could turn the ship around at least better than what's going on over there now. So if I held had a big bag of Cairo, I'd probably just say, fuck it, what what do I have to lose? Let's give it a try. Um so That's I right. thought it was a brilliant post. It's, isn't it a bit crazy? Like he's negotiating. Usually like when these guys negotiate, it's because they, they don't want the legal risk. They just want the 10%. Give me my 10%, you know, give me like this like legal whitewashing and, and I'll go away. In this case, this guy's negotiating just just to like take over. I mean, it's as if Martin Scorelli and Napoleon had a baby and, and like this guy just like was really good at hacking. And he also says, if anyone, if I get contacted by any agency from any of the 206 sovereignties, or I guess that would be 206 countries, I'm going to give you a $0 rebate or zero, zero rebate on your coins, which I think is hilarious as well. So it's hard, it's hard to be mad at this guy. Obviously, I'd you know, feel a little bit different if I lost funds, but um, this was really just a phenomenal post and um, hilarious. Yeah. What, what, what are they going to do? Arrest him? <laughs> 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 yeah. well then your kyber gets burnt it's all going to zero <laughs> yeah, flashbacks to avi here uh and I, I love how in the lp section uh the rebit will be 50 percent of the losses you've incurred i know this is probably <laughs> less than what you wanted however it's also more than you deserve <laughs> i mean if he needs the other 50 percent to like buy up the executives and like double the employee salary so it's quite reasonable so if you're looking for a job, you can get 2x the market rate on your salary by going to work for the new Kyber director. Um, but this is going to be a fun story to track. I mean, I'm very curious. Like This this guy's probably going to jail. I think they probably will find him. It's a, it's a pretty significant amount of money. But if not, I mean, just imagine if this is the thing that turns the Kyber ship around. I'm still not sure if he's trolling or if he actually wants to take over this company and he imagines that he can, in a decentralized manner, actually deal with things like you know salaries and employees and bank accounts and like all this stuff and, and remain completely untraceable. But um, maybe he's just LARPing. I, I have no idea. This is this is popcorn worthy pasta of the week. Um, you know, hopefully uh, things get resolved well for, for all the Kyber um, LPs and um, maybe the fat cat executives uh, need to go. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> the fat cat Kyber swap executives. <laughs> 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 uh, okay, we'll, we'll keep an eye on uh, on how those, those negotiations go. Um, but Justin, I stole your pasta. Do you, do you have a, a backup one, hopefully? I do. It's pretty good. But again, I don't know if it can compete. Like, I think I'm still going to have to vote for yours, Jordy, just because that was so brilliant. But mine is um, this video of Elon Musk has been going around. Honestly, the whole talk is amazing. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. It's on YouTube as of today. So I recommend you listen to it if you're interested in tech, Elon, et cetera. He's, he's pretty unhinged in it. Um, but I'm just going to play this video because it's it's so hilarious and it's truly right out of the Silicon Valley series. So um, let's give it a listen here. So I will certainly not pander. And, and Jonathan, like, the only reason I'm here is because you are a friend. 
Like, what was my speaking fee? So you don't, you're not making was, any. Uh, first exactly. of all, I'm Andrew. But uh, yeah, sorry. Okay. Uh, second of all, we know you for a very long time. So in this in this clip, Elon's saying, "I'm only here because I'm your friend," and he doesn't even know the guy's name, which is hilarious. They've known each other for over a decade, I think, sixteen years, and he gets his name wrong, which is absolutely hilarious. And it truly is out of a Silicon Valley sketch. Um, but yeah, I thought it, thought it was absolutely hilarious. Do you know if he was trolling or if he was actually just like? I would recommend if you watch the full, there's a full couple of minutes about this and it does not seem like he's trolling. He sort of says, oh, like I'm not running on a lot of sleep. I'm, I'm busy. I, but yeah, I knew I knew your name was was Andrew. Um, so I don't think it was a troll. I think it was genuine. Um, but it, it's, he's very unhinged. He's yeah. dropping F-bombs in the interview, telling Disney executives specifically saying fuck off to Bob Iger. It's, it's a very fascinating, fascinating interview. So I might lose DJ in the week, but I'm definitely giving the audience something to spend the time out of their weekend listening to so i love how he's like he's like the only reason i'm here jonathan is for you because i care about you so much and i forgot your name but you know i i really you know <laughs> it's it's like uh you know when in, in these like series like in these movies where the guy's like dating the girl and he's like oh i love you kimberly and like her name's something else <laughs> Jordy, I could see this being used someday when when you guys are crushing it in ten years. Crypto's well mainstream. You're the largest market maker. I could I could see this. So I'm I'm calling that prediction now. When you're on deal book, <laughs> uh, that's I think that's a very solid replacement. Alan, did you did you come with a pasta? I don't know if you uh, if you're prepared. Oh yeah, so they prepared me at the start of this call. They were like, find something on Twitter that uh, you thought was funny. So I like barely use Twitter, but. One of my team members sent me this thing. I guess we should play the video. Otherwise, it's like less dramatic. I want to see the washing machine like slowly skate across the floor. But yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's about someone like asking about why our volume is so high, and then he's got this like washing machine spinning around. So my uh, yeah, one of my uh, like one of our community members sent it to me. It was like quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think about this when you see it? Do you see it like, do you just find it funny or it's like, oh, free marketing? Are you offended? Or I mean, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's like pretty funny. I mean, yeah, it's like free marketing. We're, we're, we're pretty thoughtful when we, uh, when we like think about like bad actors on our exchange and like we have like all the mitigations in place. And yeah, I just see it as like people like advertising this to our target audience. Alwyn, I feel like you're like 90% of the way there for being like fully media trained. Like you've got the right answers. Sometimes you go a little unhinged, but other times you've got like the perfect answer for things. It's great. Oh, dude, it was like, dude, every like second of this, I was like just pushing back my desire to just drop the R word over and over and over again. That's like the remaining 10%. So. <laughs> I mean, Elon is not holding himself back. So why should you? Maybe maybe once you guys like, uh, you know, make billions of dollars, you can, you can, you can, you don't have to hold back and go on stage. And, uh, oh, dude, once I make billions of dollars, that... That R word dropping will be automated. Like, I'm going to have like, an entire system set up. It's going to be fantastic. So, uh, just a quick note Steady Labs does not endorse anyone we bring on. You know, we're not endorsing the words they use or the comments they make. We're just providing a platform. Actually, in, in, in the text that you guys sent to invite me on, you explicitly said that this comes with an endorsement of everything that I say. So. Oh, damn it, Jordy. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I think I think our steady lads lawyers might have uh, dropped the ball on that one. So <laughs> sorry, we I That's guess we, I guess we 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 have to endorse. So you know, that's a shame. This podcast probably was making billions of dollars. So 
loss of <laughs> revenue must uh, make zero dollars. Must man. be hard. <laughs> well, no, we we have negative we have negative <laughs> revenue because you have to pay all the costs and uh... you're, we're we're pre revenue, Jody. We're pre revenue. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have no revenue, you can say you're pre revenue. <laughs> we we have not turned on the fee switch yet. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. We, have, we haven't <laughs> voted yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> no sponsors. No. Uh, no ref links and uh, unfortunately no ads either. So we have no revenue, but uh, we we eat the comments. We we just we wake up every day. We look at the our, our fans' comments, and usually they're uh, they're either uh, about thicky, you know, very positive or very negative. <laughs> uh, so that's 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 why we do this. We just do it for the thicky comments. Dude, thicky looks like a K-pop idol. It's crazy. I didn't expect that. Yeah, you, Alvin, you, you gotta get the hair thing. You, you gotta like follow the. You, you just, just kind of do like keep them in the basement, dude. No, no. Here's, here's the, the thing, basement. right? Like, I went to a bar yesterday. I got sexually assaulted by a dude at that bar. I have to cut the hair, man. I have to cut my hair. Wait, wait. You were outside. That's so bearish. Oh yeah, dude. The one time, <laughs> Sal Vertex. Sal. <laughs> But if you think about it, maybe maybe that guy by molesting me, he scared me into going back inside forever. So maybe it's not actually a bear signal. Who knows? Bye, bye, bird. Bye. Yes. <laughs> the devs will never go out again. <laughs> that is a true story. Like, like I, I did, I did get groped at a bar, and I think it was because of the long hair. So I will have to cut it. We have to ask Thicky next time if he gets groped sometimes, or if uh, if he's able to manage that. So. Uh... Thicky, uh, Dude, I would I would grope him myself, so it's <laughs> probably a yes. The CTO of Vertex grows Thicky. <laughs> thicky thought. Coindesk Coin doesn't listen to this. <laughs> uh, Taiki, finish us off. What's your what's your pasta this week? Okay, I, I feel like that that entire conversation was a pasta, but uh, there's this new upcoming documentary called The Highest of Stakes, uh, featuring Richard Hart. And you can pre-order it for fifteen dollars. Coming, I mean, I, I don't even know like what what, what even this thing is. But um, I, Justin, I think the IMDb reviews uh, for this documentary and the ratings are very very high. Um, I think it's like eight point six out of ten. I wonder if it's like a bunch of like hex holders just like voting yeah. ten to pump their bags. <laughs> it's only seven hundred. What is it? Seven hundred eighty-eight votes. So like, uh, I mean, there's more hexagons on Twitter than that for sure. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I just like find this hilarious. I, it, I, I think the SEC tried to charge him, but they couldn't find him, and then he's like dropping documentaries. And I don't know. I feel like this, this guy is. I, I have been aware of this because I'm friends with Eric Wall, who you know has taken part in this documentary. And my understanding, this is an independent documentary, and I don't think it's like super. Uh, it might not be as effusive about you know praising Richard Hart. I think it's kind of showing different sides, and Eric Wall is obviously like. A master troller and he's been trolling Richard Hart for for a long time and he, he's he's in the documentary I haven't watched it um but I am actually looking forward to I don't know if I want to go through the process of uh AWS Amazon uh, service you know Prime and whatever hopefully somebody just puts it on YouTube and, and I can degenerate it with my morning coffee but um I don't think it's going to be a propaganda it, it might it might actually be a a fun legit documentary and um I'm actually Excited to watch it. I, I don't know if we're going to actually get a Terra one. Do you think, Alvin, that um, the Netflix guys are going to do Terra one? Or did they just skip over Terra and go straight to like the FTX stuff? Um, I think there was like a pretty nice one on YouTube. 
But the thing is, like, Terra was like a very like Asian phenomenon, right? And like Hollywood just does not fuck with Asia. So, um, yeah, mm. I, I hope there's a Terra one. It would be a lot of fun. Have you seen Crazy Rich Asians? Uh, I have. It's like the one exception. Like they throw us a bone like <laughs> once, like every like five ten years. <laughs> Fair enough. We could, yeah. we could get a Three Arrows movie because you have like the, you know, you have the West West and East kind of coming together for that one. Um, I'm curious, like all, all this, uh, you know, memeable things that happened during during like the, the crypto bear market and then the bull market. Um, what kind of dramas we want to get out? I'm pretty sure that Netflix documentaries are going to start coming in pretty, pretty fast and furious. There is a lot of demand, I think, even for things like, obviously FTX has like a book, in multiple books, right? Like there's the Michael Lewis one, there's the Bloomberg one. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to some of those reenactments. Um, and yeah, like with Terra, I mean, unfortunately, the best that that community has managed to uh, recover is like this like Luna Classic stuff, which has managed to get like relisted. Um, someone is like trying to repeg. I don't know if it's Fat Man Terra or someone's like trying to repeg UST back to a dollar and uh, trying to do some burn mechanisms to make that happen. Um, I don't know. Like, we'll we'll, we'll see if uh, if that ends well. Uh, I think the Solana ecosystem has managed to bounce back from FTX, but um, I don't I don't know if trying to repeg UST is uh, is going to work out as well. Either way, like, dude, USTC is still worth like ten times more than Vertex. So it really I don't know. I just keep that in perspective at all times. You know, at anytime like any bit of ego gets to my head. It's like, yeah, no. Um, That's good. That's good. I, I'm like not, I'm not very bullish, like a repeg. It's like kind of hard to like, unless like they do something where like they just delete a bunch of people's UST or like they make it like a hundred to one or something. Yeah. And like they have to change the mechanism too. And there is no like, I, I guess like, uh, is, is the chain active anymore? Like is, I haven't, you know, used my Terra wallet, whatever it was called, the uh, Terra Explorer. Terra I haven't Station. used that yeah, I haven't used that ever since, uh, you know, I I kind of panic exited uh, UST as, as things were collapsing. Is that still being used? Is that uh, chain kind of active or do you have any idea? I don't know. Uh, I would guess probably not. Like, I don't think there's like meaningful economic activity on that chain. At the same time, like, is there meaningful economic activity on any chain? Who knows? That's pretty meta. That's pretty meta. And uh Cool. So, like, uh, we have we have four like very solid pastas. I would say like this week is a tough competition. Alvin, since since you're the guest, like, which, which one is your your favorite pasta out of these four? Which one? The KyberSwap Exploited one was a pasta, right? Yeah, that one was stolen like, from my hands. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. You know, I, I exploited Justin's uh, <laughs> bookmarks <laughs> to get that pasta. So it's it's epic. Uh, it's poetic, and uh, thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll take this victory that I, I snatched from defeat. <laughs> um, anyway, thanks for joining us, Alvin. Looking forward to uh, to as you guys just keep shipping in that basement. Um, you've done incredibly well. I think people that have used the product know it's one of the one of the best ones. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing how you guys do in twenty twenty four. Thanks, everybody, and see you next time. Yeah.